Good evening. Thank you for returning tonight. Uh, we are concluding our study of Barnabas as an encourager this evening. And tonight we look at some of the problems that an encourager faces. Uh, I have, it is difficult to work with others. Uh, we live in a messy world of which there are many problems, many difficulties, and working through those problems and difficulties with others can be a real landmine. So it really requires a great deal of wisdom as well as humility in being an encourager. And an encourager often can find themselves in disputes with others. And I have here, sometimes it's difficult to keep things in perspective. Oftentimes disputes are distorted. They're distorted in two ways. First, the participants are closer than what it appears initially. And secondly, other times there are differences which are minimized that in actuality are quite large and important. So a similar or relevant question to ponder is how to maintain unity in the life of the church and at what cost? Uh, what does it really mean to be unified, to be of one mind, and again, at what cost? This evening, we're endeavoring to gain a perspective on the dispute and eventual split that occurred between Paul and Barnabas overtaking Mark on the second missionary journey. Uh, I find this to be one of the most helpful, actually, portions of Scripture as we contemplate church life. Uh, really, there is a tremendous amount to be learned from the dispute that takes place between Paul and Barnabas. Why did this split occur, and what can we learn from it in order that we can guard ourselves in the midst of disputes. Hopefully, this will help us to gain a perspective on disputes that occur in the life of the church. And we begin by noting a few elements in the background of this picture of which we should not lose sight. Uh, no church is perfect, and God's people are not perfect. And so we want to keep in mind these things. First, the dispute and eventual split occurs in the midst of a very fine church filled with gifted people. I think sometimes we think that if a church has problems, then there's obviously great sin or carnality, all right? We look at the church at Corinth, and we realize that the church of Corinth is in a bad way, and so it can be assumed that if it's a good church, it's going to be preserved from areas of dispute, disharmony, disunity. We need to rethink that. Secondly, the dispute and eventual split occurs between two very godly and mature individuals. Uh, obviously, Paul and Barnabas are two pillars of the faith. They are people that are obviously saved. But more than that, they're very dedicated, they're very committed, they're very godly. And yet, we're going to see that they have what are going to become irreconcilable differences. Uh, they're going to split, even though they are very mature and godly people. So the second naive approach to the Christian life is that as long as a person is mature and as long as they are sincere, they're going to be able to get along with God's people. Well, not necessarily the case. Spiritually mature and godly people can have very deep-seated differences. And we want to look at why that is tonight. Thirdly, the dispute that eventually uh, and and eventual split occurs between two individuals that had gone back a long way. 
They had a mutual concern for each other. They had a wealth of significant events to bind them together. And they had a good relationship with each other. Paul and Barnabas have a history. And it's a good history. It's a positive history of really meaningful interaction and mutual benefit from the relationship that they enjoyed. These were not two people that always were at odds with each other. These are two people who were very close. And yet they are going to end up in being very far apart. So it isn't that we just have difficulties with certain people that we always have a problem getting along with, but difficulties can arise between very close friends. People that have known each other a long time. People that are very concerned about each other and have benefited from each other spiritually and have worked together in the past and worked together well. So just because you know somebody real well and just because you've always worked together with no difficulties doesn't guarantee that difficulties won't arise. And fourthly, this dispute and eventual split does not occur over doctrine, but rather over practice. This is going to be a dispute over methodology. They could agree on what to believe and teach. They could even agree on what should be done, because they agree on this aspect of going on a second missionary journey. What they could not agree upon was how to do it, and in particular, who should go. It was a dispute over methodology. And so the initial applications are these. We should not be surprised that disputes arise even in a good church. Let me say that again. We should not be surprised when disputes arise even in a good church. There is no church that is immune from that. And there is this naivete that exists among people that the New Testament church was perfect, that the New Testament church got it all right. And today we have a situation that is so far different. And if we only we could get back to the New Testament church. And again, we have a tendency to look at Corinth as an outlier. Well, they were a bad church, but they're not typical of what the New Testament church was like. Well, let me tell you, God's people have always had sinful natures. God's people have always wrestled with the same kinds of issues. And if you're looking for people to admire and to look up to, who more than Paul and Barnabas, and yet they have their problems. All right, so there is no such thing as the perfect church or people that are not going to have their issues with each other. Which brings us to a close second. We should not be surprised that disputes arise even between godly and spiritually mature individuals. Unfortunately, it happens all the time. Church history is filled with it. Church history that goes way back to modern day circumstances where institutions, churches split. Founding fathers of particular institutions eventually cannot get along with their boards, et cetera, et cetera. And so we find this plethora of, of splits. Just think of all the different groups there are in Christendom today, denominations, et cetera, et cetera. And then thirdly, disputes over methodology are very commonplace. In fact, I would submit to you it is the most basic reason for disputes in the life of a church. That's what we want to think about tonight. So with those introductory thoughts in mind, what is it that we can learn from this dispute between Paul and Barnabas, and what do we need to guard ourselves against? First, we're going to try to get a perspective on the occasion that led to the dispute and eventual split between Paul and Barnabas. The occasion for the dispute was Paul's decision to embark on a second missionary journey. Now, that was the basis, Acts, Acts 15.36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
So a perspective on the start of the second missionary journey. Whereas the first missionary journey was the result of the revelation of God, the second missionary journey began at the initiation of Paul. The first missionary journey was the result of a revelation from God, Acts 13, 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This second missionary journey was initiated by Paul, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas. Now here is an application of the original call. All right, so there's nothing wrong with Paul taking this initiative. He's not running ahead. He's not going against the Holy Spirit. This is in keeping with what God had originally called Paul and Barnabas to do. In fact, we find that this is the more normative way in which God works. This is not the exception, it's the rule. God very rarely pronounces from heaven in a definitive way exactly what God's people are to do. It is not commonplace for God to direct from heaven in an audible voice that tells us what we are to do in every particular circumstance. It would make life a whole lot easier if he did, but he doesn't. And so that provides the basis for disagreements to occur. What would be God's will in this particular instance? It appears that Barnabas concurred with the idea of a second missionary trip. That's not a problem. They're agreed on that point. The point is that on this occasion, God did not reveal who was to go upon this trip. Again, how easy it would have been if God would have done so, but he didn't. And so they have to decide who's going to go. B, the goal of the journey is also revealed to us in the scripture. The purpose of the second missionary journey was clearly stated. Verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. All right, so in putting it in modern terms, they had a clear mission statement. <coughs> Often in leadership courses, they teach that it is essential to, proclaim, to maintain unity in an organization that you have a clear mission statement. Everyone knows what it is that you are out to achieve. Everyone knows what it is that you are setting forth as, as a goal, that you're on the same page in trying to achieve a particular end, and you understand what a ministry is all about. Well, they've got that. They've got that. Here's a clear mission statement. The scope of the trip. Every city where the gospel was preached by Paul and Barnabas. The aim of the trip, to see how the churches are doing. Couldn't be clearer, couldn't be more straightforward than that. The intimation is that these brothers may be in need of pastoral guidance, counsel, and help. Look at how Paul and Barnabas have been needed in Antioch. How much more these fledgling churches might stand in need of assistance. Evidently, Paul and Barnabas were agreed on all of that, which were the essentials of the trip, if you will. They are together on the mission statement. What they could not agree upon was methodology, how to carry out that mission statement. And I submit to you that is where the rubber meets the road. That's the difficulty that often exists among God's people in the churches. How do you work these things out? So a perspective on the dynamics of this decision. Barnabas was adamant about taking Mark. Acts 15, 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. NES translates this, and Barnabas was desirous 
of taking John called Mark along with them. Well, we find out that Barnabas had decided that Mark was going to go. I prefer the translation of the King James in this particular instrument. For it says, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. I think that gives us the, the better nuance. It gives us the better flavor. He made a decision. He made a determination of what needed to be done, and that is they needed to take Mark. This word is actually a strong word. This word is used of God's decision regarding the events that God had ordained regarding Christ's death. Acts 2.23, and him, that is Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That's the same word that's used here. God had determined beforehand. God had made a decree, actually, concerning the events that would surround Christ's death. This is the word that's used of Mark's decision regarding the taking of Paul. This was more than just a desire. Okay? It was a determination on his part. Paul, in response, made the decision that Mark would not accompany them on their journey. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them to Pamphylia. So Paul thought, no, we shouldn't take Mark. That's Paul's response. Mark says, I'm excuse me, Barnabas says, yeah, let's go and Mark's going to go with us. And Paul says, no, that's not a very good idea. Uh, we shouldn't take Mark. Well, Paul firmly holds his ground. Acts 15, 38, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along. That comes from the verb tense. And it gives you a, a helpful understanding of this aspect that there is a dialogue that's taking place. There is an interaction that's going on. This isn't just a one-time conversation, but they are going around and around over this one particular issue, and that is, are they going to take Mark on this missionary journey or not? And that's going to become the focal point. That is going to become the object of division. That is what is going to create the split between them. Do they take Mark or don't they? Take Mark. Who's going to win out? Well, I want to look at the dynamics that are involved in this decision and why they were at such different viewpoints. The first thing I want to note is the dynamics change between Barnabas and Paul. Initially, Barnabas was the leader in their relationship. As noted a few weeks ago, the leadership changed to Paul being in charge, and Barnabas being Paul's helper. Just let me stop here for a moment and ask the question, is your handout exactly like mine? Okay, because this isn't my last rendition. I just realized it. Okay, I'm seeing some mistakes in it, so all right, we'll stay with what I got. But there's a better one out there. But uh, Okay. But uh, we'll stay with what we've got here. So I'm not going to rehearse all that. We, we did that a few weeks ago, and I hope you can remember, but the emphasis was that when it started out, it was Saul and, I mean, excuse me, it was Barnabas and Saul, and it eventually ends up being Paul and Barnabas. So there was a change in leadership that took place, and I just make this simple observation, a great potential for disharmony and splits occurs when there are changes in leadership. Let me say that again. There are... Great potentials for disharmony and splits when there's a change in leadership. Because you don't always do the things the same way anymore. What is interesting here is that Barnabas made the determination to take Mark. But at this point, Paul's really in charge. And in this one instance, Barnabas isn't relinquishing the authority to Paul. Barnabas is used to being in charge. And he was fine in supporting 
Paul as long as they were on the same page. But when this occurred, Barnabas now says, we're going to take Mark. And Paul says, I don't think that's a great idea. But Barnabas isn't willing to let go. All right? So one of the problems that arises when people who are in leadership and hand over that leadership don't always hand over that leadership. People that are in charge of committees, people who are in charge of certain elements in the life of the church, and they have a responsibility, and they have fulfilled it for a long period of time, and now they give it over to another person. And all of a sudden, that person takes that ministry in another direction. The person who gave it over sometimes wants it back. And here, Barnabas is asserting himself in this relationship. A perspective on the occurrence of the dispute and the eventual split between Paul and Barnabas, a consideration of what the real issue or issues were. I said, let's look at the issue or issues, for there was but one main issue, but there were many issues that existed underneath. The main issue was whether to take Mark or not, but I want you to see that there's a dynamic at work. The main issue was whether to take Mark or not. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. Paul and Barnabas were looking at the same situation from two different perspectives. They have two very different starting points, which is very helpful and important to keep in mind. Barnabas wanted to take Mark. For Barnabas, it was a personal matter. It was not merely that he wanted to take an additional worker. It had to be Mark. All right? He's not just saying, how many people should we take? That wasn't the issue. It came down to it had to be Mark. He specifically wanted to take Mark. Why? Well, Barnabas was concerned about Mark. One of the things that we know from the scripture is Mark was his cousin. Colossians 4.10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. It was more than the fact that Mark was his cousin, but it's a factor. And let me just say, there's a tremendous temptation by anyone in leadership to unwittingly take into consideration how decisions are going to affect one's extended family. That's a part of the dynamics. That's a part of the emotional ethos. That's a reality of life, all right? So Barnabas has a relationship to Mark that Paul does not. Now, I don't think that that was the most important element. Let me say that, okay? That wasn't the most important element. That's way down here at the bottom of the rung, but it's there but it's not the motivating factor. But what is, is that Barnabas was an encourager and wanted to restore Mark. Mark had departed from them, as the text says, when they were in Pamphylia. And that word depart means uh, he abandoned them. We don't know exactly what happened, but for whatever reason, he left and he didn't leave on good terms uh, in the middle of the first missionary journey. We don't know any details about it. But it wasn't good. Barnabas was thinking about what was in Mark's best interest, okay? He wanted to demonstrate forgiveness. He wanted to demonstrate support. He's an encourager. That's what Barnabas does. And so he wants to encourage Mark. He wants to show him redemption. He wants to show him love. He wants to encourage him, restore him to ministry, etc. And so he's dead set on taking Mark. Paul did not want to take Mark. It was not a personal issue that Paul had with Mark, but rather a matter of principle. Paul did not want to take Mark because Mark had abandoned him himself from the work that was to be done. Uh, Acts 15, 38. But Paul thought best not take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. 
Aeneas, who had deserted them in Pamphylia. Paul did not think it wise to take a person who had not persevered to encourage churches to persevere. In Paul's mind, Mark was not a good example for the churches. Paul is thinking about what's in the best interest of the churches. He's thinking, we are going to encourage these churches to hang in there, continue to serve the Lord against all hardship and difficulty. Why are we bringing Mark when the churches know of Mark's failure, of Mark's lack of commitment in this particular instance and regard? He didn't think that was a wise thing to do as far as the churches are concerned. So they were really far apart because they are looking at two different considerations. One is looking at what's best for Mark, and one is looking at what's best for the churches. D, priorities play a, a part here. What is utmost importance to these two men comes shining through. Individuals are very important to Barnabas. He's the son of consolation. He's the son of encouragement. If you remember, Barnabas was siding with Saul when nobody else would side with Saul. Barnabas is accustomed to standing alone in his commitment to help others. When nobody else is on board, that's who Barnabas was. This was not unique to Barnabas, this particular instance. For Paul, the overall work in the churches are of utmost importance to him. He stands on principle. And we see the differences between Paul and Barnabas displayed over Peter's refusal to eat with the Galatian Gentiles. We have a, a very helpful window into the character of these two men that's given to us in the book of Galatians. And it's easy to overlook. And I, I want to take some time to look at this with you. Paul's commitment to principle is seen in Paul's bold and public confrontation of Peter over Peter's refusal to eat with the Gentiles. Paul understood that such behavior was wrong. Galatians 2.11, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, it says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Those are strong words. He opposed him to his face. He didn't talk about him to his back. He confronted him. And he confronted him, he said, because he stood condemned. He was wrong. He needed to be rebuked. Peter was giving into the Jewish people that were demanding that Gentiles be circumcised in order to have full fellowship with the Jews. This was an ongoing battle that was taking place in the early church between Jew and Gentile. And there were a lot of Jews that said that the Gentiles ought to be circumcised if they're going to be a part of God's people. Galatians 2.12. For before certain men came from James, he, that is Cephas or Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter did not want to gain the wrath of the Jewish people who thought that you needed to be circumcised in order to have full fellowship with the Gentile believers. Now, what's important to keep in mind is Peter knew better. For God had given a revelation to Peter telling him to eat with the Gentiles when God sent Peter to the home of Cornelius. I didn't put all this in for the sake of time. But remember the story of Paul and uh, of, of Cornelius? And Peter is sent, and Peter doesn't want to go, and he has this vision from heaven of a sheet that's filled with all kinds of different unclean animals. And God says to him, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And he learns that it is right to eat with the Gentiles. He had that revelation from God. He had that directly from God. And Peter goes back on that. Now, 
because of James's influence, it says. So Peter decides that he's no longer going to eat with the Gentiles. He's been doing that until James shows up, and now he says, I'm not going to eat with the, the Gentiles any longer. Paul says, that's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. That's going against what God says. Peter knew it. That's why he stood condemned. But here's what we want to see tonight in this relationship of Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas' commitment to individuals over principle is seen in Barnabas' allegiance to Peter. Notice Galatians 2.13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Strong words. Acted hypocritically. So that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. So even Barnabas got on board with not eating with the Gentiles. The reason it says even Barnabas, remember that Barnabas is the first one to go to the Gentiles. He's rejoicing that the Gentiles have come to faith. But when Peter absents himself, Barnabas goes with Peter as opposed to standing up and saying, that's wrong, that's going against what God's word says, that's not what we ought to be doing. But he sides with Peter, because that's who Barnabas is. For Barnabas, relationships are more important. People, individuals, are more important. But of course, this is affecting all the, the, the Gentiles, but he has this commitment to individuals. So B, Barnabas was committed to individuals over principles, seen in Barnabas' allegiance to Peter. And C, Paul realized it was more than just personal relationships. The very gospel was at stake, Galatians 2.14. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before them all, before them all, he confronted Peter to his face. And then he confronts Peter publicly. Because it's more than just Peter. Now it's even Barnabas. It's the Christian community there that is now being led astray. So he says, I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth. I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He was confrontational. That was a part of Paul's character. He was willing to take individuals on. He was willing to confront people over what was wrong. Number four, a difference of opinion often arises from, with people who are of a different temperament and have different priorities. Paul was concerned about principle. Barnabas was concerned about relationships. Now, number one, there is not a strict dichotomy between these two men. We're not to think that the work and the churches are not important to Barnabas. I'm not saying that. I'm also not saying that he wasn't a principled individual. What I am saying is, but he had a tendency to think about how is this going to affect a particular person? And I tell you, there are loads of those people in Christendom that when they start making decisions, they're really concerned about a particular individual. How is this individual going to be affected? What are they going to think? Is this going to be helpful to them? It's going to be harmful to them. There are people of that mindset. Two, nor are we to get the idea that Paul is not concerned about individuals. Barnabas is deeply concerned for the churches and has risked his life to establish them. 
Paul is deeply concerned for Mark and wants to restore him. But when push comes to shove and a choice has to be made, Barnabas puts the interests of Mark above the interests of the churches. Paul puts the interests of the churches above the interests of Mark. And all I'm saying to you is that dichotomy often exists. Where some look at what is going to be the most beneficial for particular individuals, and others look at what's going to be for the better good of the whole. Realizing it's going to have negative impact on certain individuals. And that has a tendency to collide. For in actuality, those differences are irreconcilable. You've got to make a choice. You can't do both. You can't do both. You know, it's the old saying, you can please some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. You can't always be a people pleaser, and you can't always stand on principle with your eyes closed to its impact upon others. But it's a foundation for great trouble. But I can't stress to you how often, even in my own ministry, in a variety of boards and institutions, etc., in which I have seen this difference manifested time and 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 time again. The differences in personalities, the differences in the way people view a particular circumstance, a particular situation. One is asking what is right, the other is asking what is the most helpful. One is saying this is black and white, the other is saying no, this is gray and we need to think about the effect that this is going to have upon a particular individual. What are people going to think, how they're going to respond? It always creates division. This disagreement swells into a great dispute an eventual split. Acts 15.39, there arose a sharp disagreement. That's a strong word. A sharp disagreement. How disagreed were they? Well, they separated from each other. They, they split over this issue. They did not go together on this missionary journey. Neither one was willing to give in. It was irreconcilable. And there was really no compromise that could be given for either he was going to go or not go. You couldn't take half of them. Uh, you know, it's, it's one or the other. What I want you to keep in mind is they went round and round on this issue. He kept insisting, it says. Neither would give in, neither would let it go. Obviously, both generally thought that they were in the right. So a perspective on the outcome of the dispute and eventually split the result of between Paul and Barnabas. First, the perspective on who was right. Who was right? That's what we always want to know. Who was right? Well, to answer that question, it's not a matter of who won or who got their way. All too often, that is the mentality in disputes. To give in is to lose. It becomes more about winning and losing than about what is proper or improper. So we need to not just say who, who won and who lost, but what was proper, what was improper. What was the proper approach here? Well, to answer that question, I simply note this. The church sided with Paul, and we can't minimize that. Acts 15.40, and Paul chose Silas and departed, and then we have this statement, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Acts 15.40, but, and Paul uh, chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Another translation. The church committed Paul and Silas to God's grace. The church supported and prayed for Paul and Silas. They knew the facts, we don't. All right, all I'm telling you is the scripture tells us that the church sided with Paul. 
And I say to you, that's very, very, very important. And something that we need to keep in mind, even as we think about disputes. Because what's important to remember is we don't have all the information. But they did. We don't know why Mark left Amphilia. They did. Often in disputes, we don't know all the details. We being the people who are not a part of the dispute. We are the people who are not in the positions of leadership. All right? There are things that are said and done behind the scenes that no one knows about. And you can't pass judgment on things you don't know about. The scripture tells us that the church sided with Paul. Three, the principle should not be lost. We cannot put the feelings of one person above the welfare of all of God's people. Unfortunately, that is very often the case. B, perspectives on the outcome of the split. The agreement did not end in a bitter or lasting separation. All right? There is a reconciliation that takes place. A glorious reconciliation. For Paul commends Mark to the church at Colossae. Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome him. So, there is not this hatred that exists between Mark and Paul. Paul doesn't have something against Mark. But I also point out that Barnabas did not poison Mark against Paul. Nor did Paul write Mark off. Barnabas restored Mark to a place of usefulness. 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul writes to Timothy, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That's a glorious, redemptive statement in the Word of God. Bring Mark. He's very useful to me ministry. He doesn't even just say he's useful for ministry. He says he's useful to me. He's helpful to me for ministry. So Barnabas doesn't poison Mark. He doesn't say, that Paul, you know, he didn't care about you at all. He didn't want to take you. He's an awful, miserable guy. You don't want to ever have anything to do with him. That's not the case. Paul and Mark work together in the future. It has a, a glorious end. So perspective on the split as it relates to the Lord's work. The missionary journey goes on with or without Barnabas or Mark, and the missionary journey is met with great success. Barnabas and Mark continue to be used of God. So we see God's grace in the midst of all of this. We see how God is at work, even in the midst of all of this. Conjecture is not helpful. To ask, well, what would have happened if this, this split wouldn't have happened in the first place and they would just have taken Mark or whatever? The what ifs aren't valuable in life. We don't know the answer to those things. All we know is what happened. That's all we know. And we know that what happened is ultimately redeemed by the grace of God. And that's a great source of encouragement and help. For relationships can be healed. Divisions don't need to be long-lasting. And between godly and spiritually mature individuals, they learn, they learn through their hardships 
and their difficulties. And they can remain respectful of each other. There is not a hint in this passage that this becomes personal between Barnabas and Paul. They don't become enemies through this. They decide that they no longer can work together on this project, on this missionary trip. But it doesn't mean they can't work together in the future. It doesn't mean that they can't appreciate each other's concerns and their values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which is important for us to understand in working with others. Sometimes we're in a situation where in a particular instance, you become so divided that in that project you can't work together, but you can have a mutual respect and understand that we're brothers and sisters in the Lord and that together we both love the Lord and we want to serve him. Both of these men have good hearts. Both of these men are concerned about serving, honoring, glorifying God. But they have a very different perspective of what that looks like. It's helpful for us when our brothers and sisters in Christ don't agree with us that we understand that their hearts aren't evil. But they oftentimes are looking at a particular instance from a very different vantage point from which we are looking at it. And at the same time, that doesn't mean there isn't a right and a wrong. There can be a right and a wrong at the same time that there can be very sincere people who both want to honor and glorify God and to serve him. So the real challenge is to understand the right from the wrong and understand all of the pressure that exists not to do the right thing. And that pressure is huge, especially as you're concerned for individuals and how they're going to respond to that decision. And if you're not careful, that will win out. It's really helpful to keep Galatians in view, where it's clear as to what the right and the wrong was. Conclusion. The greatest threat to the life of our church is not doctrinal. It's division as a result of personal allegiances versus issues of principle. Very good and godly men were not immune to this. Very close friends were not immune to this. Neither are we immune to this. We need great wisdom in making very difficult decisions in the life of the church. It is good to know that God's redeeming grace is at work even in the midst of disputes and even division. It's redeemable by the grace of God. But may... God guard us in our hearts, in our allegiances, in our relationships to one another, in our interactions. What wisdom is needed? What humility is needed? What restraint is needed? What compassion is needed in order to do the work of God? And quite frankly, it's beyond us. It's beyond us. But we're thankful for the spirit and grace of God. And may he always be with us. And may he heal our differences. And may he ultimately bring glory to his name as God's work goes forward. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us as we learn about an encourager and also learn about some of the dangers that there are, are associated with being an encourager. 
Lord, I, I thank you for the hearts of so many who have such concern for individuals. I thank you for the heart of so many that have a real concern for standing on the bulwark and the foundation of the faith that you have revealed. And Lord, we realize that there is not a hard dichotomy there, that with God's people, all of us, Lord willing, have a spirit of compassion, and all of us want to stand for the truth. But we all have our leanings. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. That's why you have given us a plurality of elders. That's why you have told us in your word that in the multitude of counselors there is wisdom. Oh, Lord, give us a spirit in which we will listen to one another. And not only listen to one another, but listen to others. For where there was a difference between Paul and Barnabas, the church ultimately made a decision. But Barnabas went against that decision. Oh, Lord, help us Help us to be willing at times to accept the decisions that go against us. Even when we think we are right, even when we think that the motivation is pure. But Lord, thank you that in your sovereignty and your grace, you heal and you redeem and your work goes forward for the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Oh Lord, may we realize that the church is bigger than any one of us or any one decision. And we thank you, oh God, that you overrule, you overcome, your work prevails. Your spirit always wrestles, wrestles with individuals. And ultimately, Lord, it is your church you kept and you preserved these churches and you have promised that your spirit will strive that that which is begun in us, that good work will be performed unto the day of Christ. You would not, not let Mark go. It is you who did a work in Mark's life. It is you who preserved the churches. It is you who deserves the glory. Help us to ever keep in mind that we are but servants of you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.